You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Bruns, Brian Christofferson here on Wednesday. Gentlemen, yesterday we got together, we talked a little bit about the uh, the roundtable session, the opening spring press conference. Was there any uh, any holdover thoughts that you weren't able to get out that you, you came to the conclusion after the podcast, maybe hours later, and you thought, oh man, I really should have worked in this very important comment. Any, anything like that? I, I know both of you think about work all the time. So I assume that, that you each have just nuggets that you're ready to share. Are you are you asking if either of us had a jerk store moment? Like if we were sitting there later and thought I should have said that? I mean, essentially. Seinfeld um, tip jar. You owe money to the Seinfeld tip jar for that. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the, the Seinfeld tip jar, at some point, someone on this podcast is basically just going to walk off on a good moment, right? Like that's going to be the next thing. We can do that. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I was going back through just kind of Mark Whipple stuff yesterday after we chatted. And uh, just the, the setup, I think, with the way that he's doing things, I think it just makes a lot of sense um, for for a guy who's new to a program and trying to reshape an offense. Um, you know, he's, he's adjusting to what things were called and not the other way around. They started with two minute drill. He's trying to build reps and, and, you know, libraries for his quarterbacks. I, I just, uh, there's a level of organization there that I I'm eager to see if that bears fruit because it seems like a good approach right now. What about you, BC? No, there's not one thing I woke up like in the middle of the night thinking about that I hadn't uh, shared. I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. I mean, I, I was saying all my good thoughts last time on this podcast and uh, we had a technical glitch. So wow. I, I don't want to uh, that what was lost is, is lost to uh, the ages there so that it's too late. But yeah, we can continue along. Fair enough. I there there was something that I there wasn't really like a way to work it in yesterday, but when I was listening to some audio um, writing up on on Xavier Betts, Mickey Joseph had just sort of an interesting comment on the idea of being an in-state player and how much pressure gets attached to that for certain ones. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that into a story here later this week. Uh, but it, it is really kind of remarkable how much expectation someone like Xavier Betts will have in his career relative to what Will Nixon would have faced or Latrell Neville or, or any of these other wide receivers. Now, obviously Betts higher rated, but um, it, it was interesting hearing Mickey talk about that because he's also going to be very involved in the recruitment of Malachi Coleman. And, and he's already basically said he wants to be involved more in in-state recruiting. And so I, I thought that that was an interesting thing that he's voiced that I haven't really heard another Nebraska assistant coach phrase it in such a way that you you kind of have to find a way to to let these kids know that it's okay that they don't they don't have to they don't have to add even more pressure to themselves and that sometimes 
they have to find an outlet to get outside of the fact that they're an in-state player at Nebraska, that they, you know, that there's going to be uh, more demands on them and, and they have to find either the ability to say no or, or a way to sort of separate that aspect of themselves with everything else that needs to be done. And so I, I thought that was really interesting. I'll have more on that as well, but I, I just, I don't know of another assistant coach that, that has kind of voiced that about in-state players specifically. And that speaks to, you know, Xavier's had a very interesting experience here already in Lincoln. I mean, he's, he's got a cult following of people who think that he's Nebraska's best wide receiver at all times. There's the idea that he's not either a doing enough to stay on the field or B is being prevented from going onto the field by all these other wide receivers. And so it's just, there's so much conversation that it's probably pretty hard for him to be, uh, to be, you know, ignorant of it. Like it, it has to seep into kind of his everyday being. And so that, that would get really difficult, but you're, you're certainly not hearing that or experiencing that in the same way with non-in-state kids. So uh, like I said, I'll help. I'll have more on that. You guys have any quick thoughts on that at all? I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard the quote, but I thought it was pretty, pretty astute and, and not like that. It was a, uh, you know, a really deep out of nowhere thought, but I just, as I said, haven't heard it phrased quite like that. I mean, I do think it's true that um, it's important to the eight in-state recruiting process for Nebraska, for some of these guys to sort of take off and be seen as like playmakers, but that it does connect a little bit to what you're saying in that there's an added pressure with that. Like when you talk about the Metro area recruiting and you attach, which we've done in stories, I know I've done it with Xavier Betts. Like, you know, it'd be really nice if he had a, you know, 828 yards this season and what that means to kids in that area watching that happen. And yeah, it is something to think about. I mean, I always think about that when, when guys are deciding what school to go to, you know, in this state, when they've got options and everybody's tugging at them and, you know, there's maybe a fear of picking elsewhere or, um, you know, just knowing that once they sign up to go to Nebraska, if they commit to Nebraska, you have a target on you. You're everybody you go against and are around is going to say, Oh yeah, you're a Nebraska commit. I'm going to go after you. So, uh, there's a, there are a lot of layers to that, that, that would, we could do a whole podcast on probably. It's, it's unique, too, I think, for skill position guys because in, in recent memory, there aren't a ton of offensive skill position guys locally who have hit. Um, you know, a lot of guys that, that kind of entered with a lot of, uh, you know, star power and hype behind their names in part because they're local kids that just haven't had the type of careers I think a lot of people would have. So I think there's a lot of hope placed on Xavier Betts that he can be the guy that can definitely hit there. And, it, and it's – I mean, we've seen flashes of it. I mean, that that the the catch catch run against Penn State, uh, you know what he did against Northwestern last year. The the talent's there. It's just a matter of the consistency. And I think that uh, I think Mickey's right, but I, I think it's you know prime time for a, a local kid um, at, at a wide receiver spot or running back spot where it was almost kind of a yearly thing for a long time um, for for those guys to to hit and kind of be counted on. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's dive into uh, kind of our topic of the day here. What is we'll start with uh, we'll just go reverse here. What Michael Brunts, what is a position battle that you are paying close attention to that is not quarterback uh, for Nebraska this spring? There's a lot of them. 
Um, I, I think probably the one for me um, is who's going to kind of shake out in the secondary and, and just win starting jobs. I mean, I, I think as much as people, you know, want to say that Quentin Newsom maybe is not in the mix for uh, – it doesn't have that locked down. I mean, I, I think that he – you know, does. I mean, I think he's going to be a starter for Nebraska, um, but we don't know the other spots. We, we aren't going to know much about Omar Brown until maybe the second uh, part of spring at that cornerback spot. You got Tommy Hill, Marquise Buford is going to play somewhere. Um, you know, Deshaun Singleton, another new guy at safety. I mean, I'm kind of grouping them both together, but there's a lot of snaps to be had there. And that, to me, is, you know, and Eric Janander said it too, is, is a huge priority for the defensive staff in the spring. So um, we'll see how that all kind of, you know, works itself out this spring. But I, I think that's a really important um, position battle, especially when you look at, you know, the last few years, Nebraska really hasn't had much turnover in its secondary. It's been a lot of the same faces. So a lot of opportunity there. What about you for BC? I think replacing JoJo is uh, not is talked about all the time, but it's for obvious reasons because when he was missing the last two weeks of the season, it wasn't the same defense, and he was such an uh, just a stud last year. I mean, he was a guy who maybe if you go back three years ago, um, I know Eric Chenander would say he played cowboy a little bit too much, where he was trying to make every play and do stuff outside of what his job was. And if you think back to sort of those comments from JoJo in his younger years, now you maybe apply that responsibility of that position and all that it takes to play it well to guys who are sort of the same age JoJo was when he was struggling and they have to pick it up fast, you know, like Jake, Javen Wright and Isaac Gifford and Chris Kolarovich is sort of a wild card there. I went back and listened to Chenander a little bit. Um, and he talked about we got to just see what he can do in coverage. You know, we know he can play good around the ball and be good against a run, but that's the part I don't know about him yet. We know he's a great athlete, but we'll see. So the search is on, and I just hope Javen Wright in particular gets a healthy offseason. And I know the blood clots was a serious thing, and I'm glad that that seems to have passed, and that's the most important thing. Uh, but I was so excited about that guy when writing about him as a recruit and his dad and how his dad, you know, Toby basically trained him since, you know, he was like five years old, not in a bad way, just like challenging him every day to get better and stuff. And and he loved it. And um, he's a, he's a freak athlete. He just needs good health. So that spot sticks out to me. And the other one I'd say is we heard Elante Brown's name pop up. I, I think I said this last time I'm interested in that crop of like seven or eight receivers from the last three classes, which like three or four sort of move to the front of that group and maybe even bust a door down and get into the rotation and change the way we're looking at it. I, Mickey Joseph said he needs nine receivers. Like that's uh, nine is the number that he wants. I assume that's essentially a three deep across the, the, what is it? The X, the, Y and the Z, I guess. I don't I don't remember how they label their receivers exactly, but they have the two outside and the and the one inside. And so he basically said we got to get to nine. And he said that in reference to actually Victor Jones Jr. and why 
he's not putting a lot of expectation or responsibility or or anything really with Victor Jones Jr. because he feels like they already have guys that should be ahead of him. That Victor can use this spring to just kind of get his feet wet and use next fall on the scout team. I mean, it it, it felt like he was setting up the idea that most of these freshman wide receivers, Bonner, Crawford, you know, Victor Jones Jr., they're all just headed to a redshirt <laughs> because he I, he wants those other nine. He feels like he's got experienced wide receivers. He wants those other nine um, to, to pretty much emerge out of that older crop. And so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That goes a little deeper, I think, than what we have sort of become accustomed to. I think we kind of clump receiver and talk about it in waves of six more than, than nine. But that's kind of the, the, the number that Mickey Joseph mentioned. I, For me, this is kind of a an odd spot because it's – in theory, Casey Rogers has it when he's healthy, but he hasn't really been healthy for the last year. I am really kind of fascinated who's going to play opposite of Ty Robinson uh, on that other side of the defensive line, assuming Ty Robinson has one of the end spots. It sure feels like they need Mosai Newsome to come along, but Ruquan Buckley uh, had a really nice spring last year. He's someone I, I'm kind of curious about. Either of those guys get much uh, run if, if you guys have listened to the Mike Dawson audio yet. What what can we kind of look at in terms of that other defensive line spot with Casey Rogers out right now? I would I, say this. Oh, go ahead, Browns. I was going to say, I asked Eric Chenander specifically about the younger defensive linemen. And, you know, he was very general in his comments. Um, you know, kind of talked about how those guys need to be patient because, you know, the – it's not not a spot where you play right away, um, which I thought was interesting, given the fact that you're probably going to need to count on some of those guys this year. But there's no uh, one left. I know, and and that's why depth there's you know kind of a challenge. But I I I was uh, from his comments, I think they're being very patient with Jalen Weaver, with Ruquan Buckley, uh, Marquise Black is another guy that has been on the roster for a couple of years that we haven't heard much from. So. I, I uh, based on his comments, was not expecting those guys to be like immediately in the conversation as of the first practice on Monday. I didn't mean to cut you off, BC. What what did, what did Mike Dawson say? No, I think I think they have this. They said the same thing basically. That was the general summation from Dawson. Was not a lot is known yet. Like if they can, I mean, if they if one of or two of them are going to help it's going to have to be shown going forward. It isn't something like on this date, you can say like, yeah, um, Marquise Black is like close to to being that guy. Um, so yeah, they need huge springs from a couple of those guys. Um, patience is part of it because some of them are only like second year D linemen. And it is tough to, um, I think sometimes work your way into the rotation to like your third or fourth season in the trenches. But I don't know from a depth standpoint, I feel like they need someone to join Nash and Mike Dawson even said, you know, I don't count Nash like in that group that's arrived yet. You know, like I know Nash is maybe, maybe he's a, he is ahead in the conversation from the others, but he's still not like a Ben Stilly type guy on the D line. Who's been here for five years. And that's, that's where I've, when Damian Daniels said he was leaving, I, I was like, that's my concern, concern spot yeah. for this defense because I, this league, you know how it is. If you do not have those, that grown 22, 23-year-old man in the interior of your defense, it can be very difficult sometimes. 
<clears throat> and that's uh, I still think they need that in the portal. Yeah, no doubt about it. And maybe even more frustrating, Damian Daniels didn't get an invite to the combine, right? <clears throat> or his his chances of getting drafted seem like they have slipped a little bit. And that's someone that at the very least could have been really usable, uh, not just Nebraska, but if he had entered the portal, I imagine he would have been a pretty sought after commodity last year. All right. Uh, none of us mentioned the offensive line. Is that because we really don't have a great indication of, of what's happening up there? You don't have Teddy Prohaska. He's out with an injury. Uh, you don't have Turner Corcoran. He's out with an injury. Cam Jurgens is gone. Matt Sichterman is gone. Bryce Benhart had a real big struggle at right tackle, lost his job and got it back after an injury. Um, it just sort of feels like the entire offensive line is just one giant position battle. Is that sort of the read you guys have on this, BC? Uh, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's a tricky to begin with. And Donovan Riola, and I'm not saying this is a knock on him, he's just not one who's going to – he's not going to gab your ear off about this guy and that guy. And so um, if you're searching for clues right now, you know, good luck on all those fronts with a, a coach who's not going to just say a ton. And uh, probably because he also doesn't know a ton yet about what he has. And that's fair to him. You know, I mean, like I, I think they need just on the outside looking in, they need Kevin Williams or Hunter Anthony to hit like at least one of those guys, because that really um, sort of gives you a bridge to some other guys developing too. And obviously Latofsky is sort of an interesting wild card. Uh, they had Hickson and Piper working at center the first day. We know that. And Corcoran's name popped up immediately from Frost as when he gets healthy, that could be an option there too. So that Corcoran center thing seems very real to me. And I sort of envision it happening that way. I mean, maybe I'll be surprised, but I sort of, I sort of think they're angling toward him at center if he gets healthy, when he gets healthy, and then uh, figuring out the pieces around him. Brunts, what have you kind of picked up with the offensive line? so far early like yeah it's it, pretty quiet have to read a lot of tea leaves it feels really incomplete i mean you you have guys that you are assuming are going to be in your your top five um you know out for the spring so i i don't think we're going to really know about that group until we get into you know pretty far into fall camp about who's going to be able to help and i i did think it was interesting that um Donovan Rayola said, you know, it, it always seems like rotation is a very popular topic of conversation when it comes to the offensive line. He said, look, if we've got eight guys that can help you, we're going to play eight guys. You know, if there's somebody that can help you win, you're not going to leave them sitting on the bench. So I, I think that has to be attractive to guys that are angling for playing time, starting jobs, etc. It's just that, you know, with, with, Corcoran out with Prohaska out, it, it just seems like, you know, you, you don't really know what your top five is going to be when we're sitting here on, on Wednesday, March 2nd. So it's still TBD. I guess we also didn't hit on running back, which also feels similar in a way to just a giant mashup of cars trying to win that race. What 
So it's interesting because I think everyone would agree that he played well last year when given that opportunity. What do you think the ideal role is for Ramir Johnson? Or is that kind of hard to say because we don't know quite yet what the Mark Whipple-Scott Brosh mashup is supposed to look like? Yeah. um, I think Ramir can be – I, I think he can be a 1A back, and I know there's some people who don't think that. That's fine. I, I He's got to prove that he can stay healthy and be durable, and that's a big part of being a 1A back. Um, and that's what he has to answer now going forward. There's things about him that he does so smoothly, though, that um, other guys have to prove to me they can do. Like He knows the offense, I feel like, inside and out better than all the others. Um, and you saw that Yant was still struggling with that last year. Yant's got all the tools in the world that could make him just blow up and be dynamite, but um, he's got to figure all that other stuff out. But there was things like Ramir did. I remember turning to one of you guys in the press box. I think it was a road game. There was like a bad screen pass to him. And he kind of went up and like one handed it a little bit behind him and just took it in stride and got like seven yards and it's little plays like that where I saw that guy had like a calmness about him. Like I, I, you know, I've been doing this all my life. I, and he, he felt like he was at home. You could tell like playing this game at this level. And so I'm excited to see where he can take that and bounce off of it. And I think Brian Applewhite's pretty excited about him too. So I, I'm just saying people shouldn't run off to say like, what about this guy and that guy? And just immediately assume that Ramirez is going to get passed over because I think Mark Whipple liked a lot of what he saw on tape. And I think Applewhite did too, just judging from his early comments. I, I think the best that Nebraska's offense looked the entire year was in the Michigan game, largely in the second half. But I, a part of why I think that is Ramir was so unbelievably dangerous as a receiver in that game, whether it was on, you know, some quick dump off passes or when they snuck him out of the backfield on what might've been one of the better throws of Adrian's career on that wheel route, um, you know, in the, in the second half, I think it was the third quarter. And so, uh, and, and that was a huge moment in the game. Cause I want to say that was a third or a fourth down play call. Like, I mean, they, they just got, some really big production from Ramirez as this kind of pass catching back. And so I guess if I sort of view Nebraska devoid of having the traditional feed him 20 sometimes a game running back, I don't mind the idea of Ramir Johnson being your starter. If he can be really dangerous and keep defenses honest by just being a pass catcher out of the backfield. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like an extension of the handoff. Uh, in that swing passing game, if that's something Casey Thompson can do. And so um, assuming that it's Casey Thompson, I suppose. But I I really do feel like he provides an asset outside of the box that I don't know that any of their other running backs do. Now, maybe Anthony Grant can and maybe A.J. Allen. I haven't seen him, I, you know, other than highlights. I can't really say. But I, I don't think Yant is going to be as dangerous as a receiver. Step wasn't really particularly dangerous as a receiver. Uh, at USC but I I do think that's a big part of what Ramir Johnson can bring and I I think where he just maybe comes up a little bit short or really it's not even so much him but with Nebraska's offensive line issues when it got to you know second and short third and short it just felt like Nebraska could not get 
anything going up front and a bigger bodied running back might be able to help with that a little more. The reverse of that is Ramirez was actually pretty good when they were inside the five yard line needing to score. Uh, he was a pretty good running back in goal line situations. You could argue his injury leading to the jock Yant, you know, stumble really probably cost Nebraska as much as anything in that Minnesota game. So um, I, I go back and forth on Ramirez, but it just feels like if they're going to play with a, a, you know, up-tempo, a little bit more passing to your running back tile offense, he's the best bet for that. What do you think, Brooks? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I Mark Whipple was talking about liking backs situationally. If they, you know, a third down back, uh, a guy that, you know, maybe isn't your bell cow type guy, um, they're going to need three or four backs. And I think Ramir Johnson is going to be one of those three or four. Is it, you know, is he going to be – the first guy out of the gates, we'll see. But I think from what you guys kind of outlined with his ability as a receiver, I think that makes him especially an attractive option on third down and in obvious passing situations where you can kind of find ways to get him open. So there's going to be a role for him in the offense. I think he's going to be a leader in that running back room. Um, it's just a matter of can he stay healthy and, you know, Basically, how, what do they see in him? I mean, that, that's the reality. You have new eyes looking at a, a, a guy that, that's been around for a while. So, um, as you guys know, I mean, you, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder a little bit what, what role they see. It's almost a bigger deal, like what 1B and 1C at that position can produce for this offense to me. Like, I, yeah, you obviously would love a bell cow who hits like a thousand yards or is right around there, but I get, you gotta, this offense needs to start having that second and third guy in that position group where the second guy ran for seven forty, the third guy ran for five eighty. you know, instead, if you look at the numbers, they're he's, just he's so, going for big Russian numbers. <laughs> I'm maybe going too high, but you guys know, like if you look at last year's stats and it's just like, this is Nebraska. You know, like uh, the top guys at like 500 second guys, maybe, you know, 280 or something. It's just that's where Brian Applewhite wants at least three. You said Mickey Joseph wants at least nine. So those are your numbers. They got it. They got to hit three and nine there. And uh, I will say this. We could do a whole podcast sometime on like people we can tell from our traffic numbers are just like the fans favorites. And I would put Jacquez Yant has entered that territory. Oh, if, you, if, if you tweet or write about Jacquez Yant, he is like Mr. He's the man to this fan base. It's so insane. it's interesting. It, yeah. is, it is insane. He is, uh, he is definitely up there. We should, we should just do a countdown someday where we try to determine that. I like that idea. I'm in on that. Traffic getters. Yeah. yeah. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know what people are really in on right now? Nebraska basketball. Just blowing teams up right now. Back-to-back wins. They took out Penn State on Sunday with a uh, a blowout win. Could have probably scored 100 had they kept uh, pushing it towards the end there and then followed it up with a second straight road win against Ohio state on Tuesday night. Bryce McGowan's uh, had a really nice game. Alonzo verge had a really nice game and Nebraska played well. They played under control late. Uh, it got a little hairy there with about three minutes left when they just stopped scoring. Um, but Nebraska came away with a, a really important win against Ohio state. It, it basically gives them a little bit more confidence as they head into a season finale against Wisconsin. And then uh, they start things over in the Big Ten tournament next Wednesday. Brunts, what uh, – or excuse me, we'll go to BC here. BC's been doing our basketball coverage. What what did you kind of take away from last night's game and, and really these last two games in general following uh, – and really be the last three following the news that Fred Hoiberg would be returned? I mean, simply put, it's basically the sort of team – and the style they're playing that Hoiberg, I think, expected back in exhibition season, like when they ran Colorado out of the gym, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's like it that just disappeared for a few months. And I, I know the McGowan's injury uh, hurt on as a glue guy, but um, Alonzo Verge is a guy who had some ups and downs, but you're seeing in the, the very end of his time here at Nebraska, he's really figuring out that position much better and like how to kick it, um, you know, how to, how to be smarter with the basketball, uh, when to for, when to force it, when not to, and guys are making the extra pass too. That's the thing that sticks out. Like it's, uh, it's almost like the old hockey assist from Verge. Verge is, is penetrating, being pretty dynamic with the basketball. He's knowing when to kick it. Another guy's, you know, springing it out to another guy. And then there's the open shot and they're just starting to hit. They're starting. They've had a couple of games where they've been the type of shooters that Fred Hoiberg thought they were going to be. And it might just be as simple as that. You could spend a lot of words, but they, 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 they got hot behind the arc for a couple of games. And uh, that, that was supposed to be who they were. And they, they weren't for so long. In, in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like both Bryce McGallans and CJ Wilcher have, uh, have come on strong here in the last I don't know, 10, 12 games. I mean, when when you kind of look at how those guys have played, Brunts, do you you feel like their elevation is sort of leading Nebraska's kind of a ability to to put a little bit more fear in these teams? I mean, it is just sometimes as simple as shooting better, but CJ Wilcher has played really well since the beginning of January. Yeah, and and you have to give Wilcher credit too, because I mean he's basically playing the four spot when he's in there on defense. And I mean he's I have to go in and look. I, I know for a while he was shooting almost 50% from three-point range in conference play. I think he's down around 
42, 43, maybe I'd have to look, but he's making shots, um, which is, you know, was kind of always the book on him was look, this guy's going to be able to shoot. Um, I, I think you got to give Bryce McGowan's a ton of credit too. I mean, this is a guy that was getting pushed around in non-conference play against power, power or high major teams. Um, and, and learn to play through contact. He's getting to the line. He's, you know, being aggressive offensively. And he's being the five-star type guy that everybody thought he would he would be. Um, you know, you, a lot of times you have freshmen hit that wall when they get into January and February. And he's playing even better basketball than he was. So, you know, I, I, I don't think he's going to be back next year. But, I mean, I, I think over the last few weeks here you're getting a chance to see the caliber of player that he truly is and when you start looking at where he's stacking up you know in Nebraska history with freshman scorers it's pretty elite company I mean you're talking Ty Lue and uh, Dave Hoppin right now so that's good and I'd be curious to know what you guys think I mean is the the way that they're playing now too I mean it lines up with the air kind of clearing around Fred Hoiberg's future but how much of a role is that playing in the way that, that the last, I guess, what, 70 hours or so have unfolded? Yeah, it, it, for me, I I can't speak, obviously, for the players, but I, the program in general, like once that update sort of went out and it's like, okay, Fred Hoiberg's going to be back, it, it almost felt like everything got like more relaxed. Obviously, they played well in those three games. I mean, they lost to Iowa, but they played well for about, what would you say, 35 minutes of the 40 minutes of game time there and then just kind of let it get away in the last five. Um, you know, that's a, that's a situation where it just maybe relaxed everyone that, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be here in the, the dying days of the Roman Empire kind of thing, I guess. I mean, they're, they're able to just go out, play basketball. Fred Hoiberg's going to be back. There's definitely going to be changes. There's going to be changes on the roster. Um, and all of those kinds of things. But I, I think there's probably a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere that, okay, you know, our, our coach's job is safe. I, I don't, I don't think this is like breaking news and BC covers it closer than I do, but these guys seem to like Hoiberg a lot. Like this isn't a, a situation where it's a coach where people don't want to play for him. Um, it, it strikes me that they like him, that they, you know, have appreciated his efforts and, and things have just kind of clicked for him here as of late. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And also, I mean, the Iowa game's interesting too, that they lost because they actually played quite well in that game. I mean, they, they did what they wanted to do on their scouting report. They took Keegan Murray as much out of it as they possibly could. I mean, he still ended up with a double double because he's unbelievable but two guys who they're saying, okay, if you can beat us, beat us. They had to give up something to, you know, to stop other guys. They went out and beat Nebraska that night. So basically since that announcement, they've played three really good games. And uh, um, I, I do think there's something to be said for, okay, that's, that's done with that storylines out of there for now. Let's just focus on basketball. And this is, I think sometimes too, when you're part of a team, it's like, this is our last chance playing together. There's some talented guys who've been hooping all their life. So let's go win a few games and at least make a couple memories. And even though it's not a season people around here are going to remember, you know, there's going to be guys who in their 10 years from now, they're going to remember when they, 
they beat Ohio State at Ohio State and you ran Penn State out of the gym. So you're, you're trying to make moments like that. And uh, I think they could win a game at, um, you know, Big Ten, too. I mean, they obviously in their they'll probably be the 14 11 game and maybe you win one there. So they could get to double digits. Didn't look like that could be a possibility. No, it did not. Even three conference wins seemed unlikely at one point this year. So, uh, you know, they got that going for them. All right. Uh, from a team that is very hot to a team that is very cold, we will move over to Nebraska baseball now. Michael Brunts, there is probably a fair amount of apprehension from Nebraska fans about a baseball team that starts, uh, what, one and six this year for its first seven games. They've got two double headers coming up in Arlington this weekend. What have you sort of heard? What have you seen when they have been on television? Uh, and, and what have you kind of configured about what is going wrong for the start of this season? Well, I mean, they're, they're not throwing strikes. Their starting pitchers are not throwing strikes. That that's where it starts. I mean, when, when you're, weekend guys aren't getting you through the second inning that 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 you're not going to win many games doing that and offensively this was always going to be a team I think that was going to need some time to gel and you're seeing that I mean you're you're seeing a lot of strikeouts guys pressing um you know the I think anytime you have a a, a lineup that's shifting a lot that shows to me a coach that's still trying to figure out who goes where and, and who can handle what roles. And I think that's kind of where this team still is. So it's a, it's a tough start. I mean, I think you have to kind of resist the urge to make huge sweeping pronouncements about this team seven games in, but um, certainly this is not the start that anybody would have wanted. I mean, you, you schedule a team like TCU to get a win or two and help you, uh, come NCAA tournament time and, and uh, you know, Nebraska just hasn't been competitive in a lot of its games. And I think that's been the biggest surprise is that, you know, you, you can handle getting beaten by a top 25 team, but just looking like you have no business being on the same field at times that that's a concern. Absolutely. Uh, what, what have you seen from some of the new faces uh, that, that entered this program of a little bit of excitement uh, just through these first eight games so far, or seven games. Yeah, I mean, I think Dawson McCarvel, the the Grand Canyon transfer, I think he's going to be a part of the weekend rotation. I still think that's TBD on what that looks like once they start playing conference games. Um, trying to think who else that would be. I mean, you lose Jake Buns, um, that, that hurts. You're going to have to rely on some younger guys in the bullpen that, that maybe you weren't planning on having to. Um, you know, I, Core Jackson was a guy that I think they were very high on. I think that he's a guy that just kind of needs at bats. I mean, that that's the tough part is that you're in, in some spots, you're pretty young um, and pretty inexperienced. You know, the outfield is one area where I think that they were going to need some guys to to step up and play well early, and they 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 haven't gotten enough consistency there. So, I it's it's just one of those things where I feel like they're they're almost. They, it feels like guys are kind of looking around waiting for somebody else to make a play or get a big out or a key hit or something like that. And it just hasn't happened yet. And I, I think the coaching staff based on, you know, what I was told coming out of the fall and kind of what they were expecting, I think they've been a little surprised um, at, at the difficulty throwing strikes 
um, from, from the starting pitching. So we'll see if they can kind of right the ship um, down in Texas this weekend. But, um, you know, the, the, not, the non-con starts or the, the midweek games start up. You're only a couple of weeks away from the start of Big Ten play. So, um, you know, as, as much as you want to say, well, don't worry about it. I mean, you, you're kind of at the point now where guys need to start playing well because you're what I, I suck at math. What you're about an eighth of the way through uh, the season already. So it's time to time to play some baseball. What uh, what's your level of surprise that Kobe Gomez has just come out and swinging a hot stick right now? I mean, he, he was pretty up and down as a hitter when we saw him as a freshman, obviously that was many moons ago, but uh pretty fast start, obviously just seven games, but hitting 400 right now. Yeah. And I mean, you, if you remember, I mean, he had a long swing um, his freshman year and if he connected, it was going out somewhere. Um, and, and the problem was, is he didn't connect enough. Um, and, and you have to give him credit. I mean, he wasn't planning on, being in the lineup until probably December. He hadn't picked up a bat in a couple of years. And, you know, he, he just, I, I think a lot of it, the credit goes to to Colby for, you know, just simplifying his approach. I think that's how Nebraska does it now and allows those guys to, to swing a little bit more freely and uh, not be in their heads so much. But, I mean, he's been probably the, the most notable bright spot in the lineup. I mean, he, he started out, down in the lineup the first weekend and then they had him bat and clean up um by the time they left texas so maybe that's uh you know a, a, one of the few bright spots in the lineup so far for him and uh you know I, I think too he's a guy that you're gonna have to get a little bit more leadership out of um just based on his experience he's one of the few guys that have been through it absolutely uh both of you guys happen to be wearing your respective major league baseball team hats right now is this just a, a show of solidarity, uh, given that we might not see these teams play for at least a month or so? Um, I, I don't know. It was a hat that was just out for me. Um, I'm I'm really ticked off about that whole thing and uh, Rob Manfred. Um, but I, I I knew Bronze would sport his A's hat, and I thought I thought I had to bring bring the heat with my with my twins my i have the old school uh this is like uh 91 twins uh the old m instead of the tc yeah i had to i had to look at it a little bit to see if it, you were just wearing like a mizuno hat or something yeah people uh, get confused on that was was thrown on it a little bit but uh good to see that you're you're still repping the 91 twins where does that rank amongst your favorite sports teams in your history uh, near in the top three, um, the game, game six of the 91 world series like, if you're ask someone, what's your favorite game of a team that you root for? It's probably game six, 91 world series. I was 10 years old. Kirby Puckett catches a, a, a ball at the fence, jumping up, hits a home run to win it. Jack Buck says, we'll see you tomorrow night. That's, that's as good as it gets. Nice. Brunch, you have any thoughts on the 91 world series? Uh, I remember the only thing I really remember was there was a picture that ran in Sports Illustrated, and I forget who the who was the catcher on that team. Brian Harper, yeah. But there was maybe it was the Braves catcher was like on his head, like there was a was. collision at home plate, and somebody was like basically, you know, head on the ground, feet up in the air, and like that was the the image that they captured. That was pretty much the only 
thought I have of the 91 um, World Series. Uh, do they still have that recording that you can like sit in the chair and stuff at Target Field? Yeah. Uh, by the way, that was the Dazzle Man, Dan Gladden, I believe, who ran over the Braves catcher. That's right. If I'm That's thinking right. of the right picture. Yeah. And they yeah, do right. have that. There's a beyond center field for Midwesterners who go up to Target Field. There is a thing where you, if you anybody walks by it, it's like a sensor. And Jack Buck says, "We'll see you tomorrow night." The problem is if you sit in this little group of seats, which I've done before, <laughs> you just hear it like ten thousand times over the course of three hours. So don't sit in the uh, in those seats uh, if you can figure out where that is the last the last time we were up there for an a's twins game bc just kept walking me by that sensor he just like he's like get your grain belt we're walking by the sensor <laughs> and we, were, we were there for about 90 minutes just walking back and forth was that the first time the twins and the a's traded sam fold back and forth during the same game or uh i don't remember we weren't even co we weren't co-workers yet either no, that, that was uh, the only thing I remember from that. That well, we're getting off topic here was that this <laughs> A's fan that was keeping meticulous book um, out, out in the outfield, and he had like the best Raleigh Fingers mustache. He looked like mm-hmm. pretty much what you would expect a hipster A's fan to look like. We still uh, we still text about that guy Brunson on yeah. occasion. Like, what's he up to? Yeah. How's he How's he feeling about this A's game right now? He, he would He would definitely have scored that an error. <laughs> he, he He gives no no leeway. You guys have your own personal. Where are they now? <laughs> That's him. Yeah. Guy in the outfield with a mustache. Yeah. Nice. I, I can respect that. All right. Um, now that we've finished the 91 twins portion of the podcast, any closing, uh, any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave the people with today? Did you no guys around anymore? Does Nebraska basketball get their third, third road win in a row on no sit Sunday in Madison? Uh, I, do you think it'll be a no sit Sunday in Madison? I'm sure it'll be a polite, polite, passive aggressive sitting. If I know the Midwesterners well in Wisconsin. Yeah, I uh, they played Wisconsin fairly well. I don't know if you guys remember that game this year. It got rescheduled to like four o'clock in the afternoon, and Brad Davison shot like ninety two percent from three uh, for the the duration of that contest. Like I think he almost set their their individual record for three pointers made or whatever. The team almost set the record for most in a game. If they don't. If they didn't shoot that well that night, Nebraska actually was able to score on them. They took uh, they took Davis out of the game for much of that game. I, Nebraska played them better than what the score or what your memory probably would would recall. Uh, it's just Wisconsin shot lights out. So if they don't they don't shoot lights out, and Wisconsin's the kind of team that generally it feels like everybody in the conference, regardless of how good or how bad they are, can sort of hang with them on any given night. Uh, I, I think Nebraska will keep it relatively interesting down to the wire. <clears throat> yeah, I won't. I wouldn't pick Nebraska, but I I bet it's a good game. Operation Thirteen Seed is still, I, I think, hanging out there. Yeah. If Minnesota if Minnesota loses two and Nebraska pulls another upset, so uh, there's that. Well, the, the the real question is, do you want the Thirteen Seed where you might be locked into a matchup with Northwestern, who's just somehow been Nebraska's kryptonite? in a year in which seemingly everyone's been Nebraska's kryptonite. What, what's the old saying? It's really hard to beat a team three times in a year. Is that, is that a saying? <laughs> Do people say that? 
I mean, I think they have. I don't know how much they mean. <laughs> it's been said six or seven times in the history of mankind, and you just added another one. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here at Husker 24-7. Be sure to check out the coverage on the website. Like I said, we'll have plenty of stories coming from the interviews on Monday. There's a junior day coming up on Saturday. Nebraska's going to have at least a few visitors in from out of state with offers. Uh, Could be an interesting day. We'll see who else makes the trek. So we'll have that on the site as well. Anything you guys want to plug? Any specific stories? We'll be talking – on Saturday, we're going to be talking transfer portal with Eric Chenander and uh, the very awkward conversations that take place between coaches trying to find out information about guys that are transferring. So look forward to that. All right. Excellent. BC? No, um, just keep coming. I mean, there's going to be content just flying off the rest. I mean, people just need to come to the site. We're going to have stuff all the time. We're going to have stuff all the time. Excellent. There you go. Yeah. That's the pitch from Husker 24-7. We'll be sure to catch you next time here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.